0: Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. I am Jason Whitlock, your host. Happy Friday. Isn't it great? It's Friday. We got the whole weekend. It's awesome. Mm. I'm so excited. All we need is a little better weather. It's kind of cold here in Nashville today. But uh, this show will be piping hot. Steve Kim, Delano Squire, Shamika Michelle. Going to join me today. We'll talk a little sports. We'll talk a little pride. We'll talk a little Eric we'll, we'll We'll talk... Some good stuff, fantastic show planned for you today. Before we do any of that though, I wanna to talk to you about uh, my good friends at Nugenics. You guys know how, what a big adjustment it is getting older. It changes your day-to-day energy, and worse, your body. It gets hard to stay healthy. You might have more of this dad bod that's trending, or you know, as I call it, the Whitlock gluttony bod. You don't want that. It's okay, but you know what I can say? Because I've been using eugenics and I've been working out and my testosterone level is starting to go up, I think it was yesterday, my maid came. I hadn't used uh, my maid. I'd been doing a little bit of my own cleaning, but my, my apartment was a total mess. I just, in order to get out from underneath the mess that I made, I had to get my maid to come back. And so I hadn't seen her in several months, maybe since October, September. And she surprised me when she showed up. I'm shirtless. She walks through the door and I'm shirtless, sitting in a chair, and the first thing she says is,
1: oh, you lost weight, you lost weight.
0: I go, oh God, thank you, thank you. So she sees me there shirtless, and the first thing that pops in her mind is how much weight I've lost. And I gotta say, this new genic stuff is working me. Boosting your testosterone helps you out, helps your workouts out. This stuff has testifin, this nugenics that will turn back the clock, re-energize you and your workouts, get you better results at the gym and help you look and feel like the man you really wanna be. You want your maid to come in and catch you shirtless and go, oh, you lost weight, you lost weight. You need more testosterone. You get some of that testosterone in your body, it's gonna do you better and someone's gonna say, oh, you lost weight. You
1: lost weight!
0: While every product professes quality, many other products use generic ingredients that are often far less than clinical grade. With Nugenics Total T, you get the same clinical potency levels used in the trials, and Nugenics formulation is backed by 10 years of science and research, can help to re-energize your life and help you get back to the powerful, confident, good-looking warrior you used to be. Nugenics Total Tea can help you re-energize your life, help you get back to the powerful, confident, good-looking warrior. It can make some woman say, oh, you lost weight, you lost weight. Now get a complimentary bottle of Nugenics Total Tea when you text FEARLESS to 231231. Text now and get a bottle of Nugenics Thermo, their most powerful fat incinerator ever with key ingredients to help you get back into shape Fast and absolutely free. Text Fearless to 231-231. That's Fearless to two three one two three one. Texting enrolls you into reoccurring automated text messages. Consent not required to purchase. Message and data rates may apply. Mm. Let's go out to Steve Kim. Oh, Steve Kim! You still look ugly. Yeah, you still look, you look the same. Yeah, nothing's changed there. You need some eugenics in your life, Steve.
2: Oh, my uh, God. Yeah, let's you know, the begin, hold oh. on the beginning of your story. I thought it was this penthouse letters. But anyway, let's let's get going. Let's get going. <laughs> you know, I
0: could have taken a turn. No, it was not, not penthouse letters. Uh, anyway, let's talk about uh, Eric Bieniemy, who looks like he's going to be the Washington Commanders new offensive coordinator. Of course, all the social justice warriors are upset and bothered by the fact that Biannimi has to take a lateral job. Stephen A. Smith earlier this week even said, it's Andy Reid's fault. Let's listen to Stephen A.
3: But when we think about what's holding Eric Biannimi back most, it's Andy Reid. Andy Reid has cost Eric Biannimi a head coaching job in the National Football League. We don't want to say it, but it's true. And here's the reason why. Because even though you're the head coach, you don't have to call plays. He chose to. Not all the time. Most of the time it might be Eric Bieniemy, and But Andy Reid not only called some plays, he made sure we knew he called plays. The NFL community knew he called plays. There's plenty of head coaches in the National Football League, Coach Aaron Edwards. Mad Dog Russo, you've been covering sports for decades. There's plenty of head coaches in the league that have offensive coordinators that are calling plays. Even when they make a call, you don't hear about it. Because the offensive coordinator is calling the plays. You might get in his ear and say, I want to see this, I want to see this, I want to see that. But it's their job. Yet somehow in Kansas City, it's convoluted. One minute it's Eric Bieniemy, Another minute it's Andy Reid. Well, who's calling and who deserves credit? If you give owners a choice to give credit to somebody, who the hell do you think they're going to give credit to? They're going to give credit to Andy Reid.
0: Hmm. Did did Stephen A. make any sense at all there? Do do you think any of that's based in fact, logic, reason? To me, none, but I'll let you go first.
2: You ever see that video of when Stephen A. Smith tried that boxing workout and he was working mitts? I thought that would be the low point until that. The reason why no one ever thought it is because it's so illogical. Can I go Greta Thunberg here uh, to Andy Reid? How dare you? do your job properly as an offensive guru and actually run your offense and call the plays. He's literally what? saying how in the world can Andy Reid do his job so well and bring joy and pride to Kansas city and make every quarterback so productive. This is on you fat white guy and your supremacy as an offensive mastermind. It's, it's just the dumbest thing. I, look at the end of the day, what Andy Reid has going for him, and Coach JB talks about this a lot, and you think about it, every quarterback that is blessed to be coached by that man right there has their best years. Look at Alex Smith. Alex Smith as the number one pick, for the most part, in San Francisco, very uneven tenure till the very end, and Harbaugh was able to get the best out of him in San Francisco. His best year statistically came as a Kansas City Chief. Donovan McNabb, it looked like to me for the first eight years he was going to be a Hall of Famer under the direction of Andy Reid. Andy Reid's nickname should be the common denominator because he is just that to a lot of quarterbacks who have their best runs. So as a Kansas City Chiefs fan, I would be looking at this and hearing this from Stephen A. Smith, and I would just be bewildered by the logic of it. Again, think about it. He's ripping Andy Reid for being unbelievably good at his job, it makes no sense.
0: It, it makes no sense. It it speaks to uh, mm-hmm. black men aren't responsible for anything. Anything bad that happens to them is someone else's fault. Anything good that happens to them, it's it's all their responsibility. Andy Reid's had. In Kansas City, I think three offensive coordinators. And so his calling plays and running his offense didn't stop the other two from getting jobs. Now, you could say, oh, well, the other two were white and they're not dealing with all that racism. Half the NFL has virtually interviewed Eric Bietamie for their head coaching job. You're not going to convince me, the 13 or 14 NFL owners, many of them with a previous history of hiring black coaches, just, well, Eric Biennemi's black. We, we just don't want to touch him. There's something going on with Eric Enemy in these interviews, and to sit here and to try to blame it on Andy Reid and to sit here and try to pretend like uh, Eric Enemy's calling most of the plays and is responsible for that offense and Andy Reid is taking the credit. It's just a joke, man. It, it's well, embarrassing.
2: Jason, how about this? So Andy Reid gets no credit for, for elevating Eric Bieniemy's football acumen and having people believe that he himself is his offensive wizard? See, so it can go both ways here. The other thing is, if you look at Andy Reid's coaching tree, guys like Matt and Nagy, when they've had to venture out on their own, Their IQ points have gone down 100 points. And I'll I'll use this analogy again. When you are a boxing trainer and you have a Floyd Mayweather on your stool or a Manny Pacquiao, you don't lose fights for years. In fact, you look like the smartest guy in the game. You get some club fighters, and all of a sudden, that IQ decreases significantly. So who you have matters. But Andy Reid has to be given credit because you could say, well, he has Patrick Mahomes. But I go back to what I said a few minutes ago. Every quarterback that's come in contact with him over time has proven to play their most productive football under that man. I can't believe, well, I
0: can't believe it because Stephen A. Smith is, is being dishonest here, but if I were going to blame some something, no team wants to give a team that's been to three of the last four Super Bowls No team wants to give them extra draft picks for picking up their offensive coordinator. Because whoever signed Matt Nagy, the Bears, when they got, the the Chiefs didn't get extra draft picks because Matt Nagy got signed. He's a white guy. And and so, but if a black guy goes from offensive coordinator to head coach, the 49ers from D'Amico Ryan, they're getting – Two third-round draft picks, I believe, because D'Amico Ryan got promoted to head coach in Houston. That's ridiculous. You're rewarding a team that's already having success. And so here's a team that's won two of the last four Super Bowls, has the best quarterback in football, and Stephen A. Smith can't piece together. Like, I wouldn't want to be the, the, the team that handed the Chiefs and Andy Reid more draft picks. They're already beating our brains in. Already winning Super Bowls, that's more responsible for Eric Bieniemy not getting a head coaching job than Eric Reed, I mean, than than Andy Reid calling and plays. The other thing that do we think these excuses, and I think they will, are going to follow Eric Bieniemy to Washington if mm. the Washington Commanders don't have offensive success. Trust me, Stephen A. and all of the social media people, they're going to blame Ron Rivera. They're going to blame whoever the general manager is. They're going to blame whoever the team president is. Eric B. bulletproof. If they have the 32nd-ranked offense in Washington, it won't be Eric B. fault.
2: Well, think about this. You go from Patrick Mahomes to that quarterback situation, which last year, and again, things can change. This is the offseason. You went from Carson Wentz to Taylor Heineke, right? So you went from a has been to a never was. So right there, that's a steep upgrade. I look at this Washington team. They have one real standout, scary Terry McLaurin, excellent receiver. I think he's actually underrated given the fact he doesn't get a lot of help in terms of who throws him the ball, but you're right now the heat is going to go on the organization. Think about this. The organization that actually is going to hire him and theoretically give him a raise, now they're going to be blamed for not being good enough around him. But I think this is a very tough spot for the enemy because, number one, you're going from Patrick Mahomes to what I would call a below-average quarterback situation, and now, now the pressure's on you to produce, and it's not going to happen. Players... Matter, and so I just look at this. And now I believe the Redskins draft right smack dab in the middle of the first round. I think 16th, right, Jason. Unless they significantly um, make a move up that ladder and say, okay, we got to give the enemy his foundational quarterback. Here's the other issue: I- I'm not really sure there's a um, a surefire future Pro Bowler in this draft. I kind of, sort of like Bryce Young, but he's a little bit small. C.J. Stroud, I like. I think he's a very good prospect. But when you start going down, I think there's a huge difference from those two guys to Levis and Anthony Richardson at Florida. I think those guys are really projects in a lot of different ways. So I'm thinking to yourself, man, this is a real catch-22 for everyone involved.
0: Jalen Hurts was a second-round pick, and he just played in the Super Bowl and played really well in the Super Bowl. I'm not going to deal with some excuse. like oh, There were no... Uh, all-time great quarterbacks in this draft, w- with these very simplistic college-style offenses that are being run in the NFL. I, I don't care who they draft in the first or second round. Uh, Lamar Jackson was drafted at the bottom of the first round. It, 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 okay. it. You can find and you can build an offense that works in the NFL. I'm not going to be. I, I don't want to hear a bunch of excuses about you know why the Redskins offense or the commanders offense didn't lighten the world on fire we've been told by Stephen A. Smith and everybody else that Eric Bieniemy is one of the greatest assistant coaches in the history of the NFL and if trust me if there was some white coach headed to Washington no one would be sitting around with lowered expectations for him that make T- Taylor Heineke work find me a rookie that will work uh, you know, develop some wide receiver, whatever. But we're going to get a litany of excuses if it doesn't go well for Eric Bieniemy in Washington.
2: Well, Jason, I agree with you on this sense. If this was Andy Reid going to Washington, the narrative would be, "How quickly is he going to turn this around into a 450 yards per game offense that scores 30 points regularly? Like it would be inevitable. But with Eric Bieniemy, it's like if and oh boy." But let's be fair about this. With Jalen Hurts, he has overplayed expectations to his credit. He's worked on his craft. But we have to be fair, Jason. That Eagle offensive line is top-notch, and they have two number-one receivers that play different roles very well in Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown in a really productive tight end. Um, Washington has a pretty good tight end, Logan Thomas. But, again, I just don't see the offensive parts being made to work. But you're right, Jason – once you take that role and you are now on the spot, um, there's an expectation to produce. And if, and if I'm Eric Bieniemy, I make sure that I guarantee myself three seasons to try to change this whole offense and, and to build it around his own identity. I think this is going to be one of the great experiments that we're all going to be keeping an eye on for the next year or two. Let's be honest, Jason. In eight, nine months, as the football season begins... Me and you are going to be watching a lot of Washington Commanders football and looking through that box score. Uh, and I just look at that team. I, outside of McLaurin, I just see a lot of flotsam and jetsam offensively.
0: I want to tell you the other thing. Uh, I can't remember. It's a defensive coordinator. Did Miami get a new defensive coordinator this offseason? I think it's Vic Fangio, I, some Big fan unit. Yeah, getting paid four and a half million dollars yeah. a year to be the defensive coordinator. That's the other reason we gotta cut out this pity party, like, oh my God, he's just an offensive coordinator. What they're paying these coordinators now, it's real money. Yeah. I guarantee you, Eric Bienemis getting around three, three and a half million, if not four million dollars from the Washington Commanders. And we're gonna throw a pity party for him. You want to know why Brian Flores was comfortable taking a defensive coordinator's job? It's because the pay has skyrocketed for a defensive coordinator. You can—it's a lower stress job that pays you like you're the head coach now. I just—I'm not—I'm not going to be interested in a bunch of excuses and a pity party for Eric Bieniemy. He's got to ride Andy Reid's coattails. And, and now he's got his own offense to run, and we'll find out. I, I Honestly, for Eric Benby's sake, I hope he's as good as everyone says he is or he develops into that. I hope he has a lot of success, and I mean that sincerely because a lot of this is outside of his control. The, the, this is the media that has made him into this guy solely based on his skin color. Any Some white coach that was sitting there riding Andy Reid's coattail and, and couldn't perform well in interviews and didn't get a job, nobody would be crying about it. They'd say, well, he's getting paid a half uh, million and a half, two million bucks for carrying Andy's clipboard. It's like being a backup quarterback. It's one of the greatest jobs in sports. Miss me uh, with the BS. I want to move on to uh, my main man, Tiger Woods, who's – uh, performing uh, performing quite well. And by the way, I think Sam Howe is the starter in 23 for the uh, oh, yeah. Washington Commanders yeah. as of right now. Yeah. But th- 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 that's as of right now. Yeah, uh, I want to move round on and talk it. about Tiger Woods got off to a decent start yesterday, two under, uh, finished... Uh, Finished the last three holes with birdies. He's he's I think he's two under again today. No no he's even par today. Playing relatively well. Looks good on the course. He's caught some heat for giving uh, <laughs> Justin Thomas. He outdrove him on a hole. He outdrove him several times. But one time he handed him a tampon as a joke after out-driving him, and of course, uh, the media melted down, called it sexist, called it you know ir- uh, immature. Uh, your thoughts on uh, Tiger Woods, how he's playing uh, to this weekend and the Genesis Open, and uh, him giving a, a tampon, the Genesis invitation, I'm sorry, and giving a tampon to Justice Justin Thomas.
2: My first thought, what about Brett Favre? Okay, no, but seriously, uh, <laughs> you know, here's the thing about all the pearl clutching going on. I think it's funny. It's one of the more human mo. I've always thought Tiger Woods had a very plastic personality. Uh, I've always thought him to be kind of dull and uh, cliche machine, kind of cold, almost robotic. And stuff like this, I kind of think it's hilarious. And by the way, maybe Justin Thomas, for that moment in time on that whole... Maybe he identified as a female. Did anyone think about that? Huh? <laughs> huh? So I mean, look, I actually kind of defend Tiger. Like you know, Tiger. Maybe you do have a soul. Maybe you are kind of funny. Maybe you are one of the boys. You know what? Thumbs up. I like it. I, and then of course, is it sexist. Yeah, because it used to be, hey, you hit like a girl, you throw like a girl, you punch like a girl. Um, uh, but to actually use a prop. Like, he actually went somewhere to get a tampon, put it right next to his uh, golf clubs, right? And said, oh, this guy, if he shanks one or if he sl- I'm going to give him this. And then the wherewithal here, buddy, <laughs> that's what I think of your drive. I actually enjoy it. Tiger, you are finally showing signs of human male life. Thumbs up. You're good by me, Eldrick.
0: Obviously, I love it. It's the kind of humor commonplace in locker rooms and on golf courses. And, you know, any of the people, I think it was USA Today that wrote a piece complaining about it or whatever. They they, they just got this whole movement to pretend like uh, men – are women and women are men and i'm just like how's this consistent you're putting yeah. tampon machines in boys yeah. bathrooms so how Jason. if you're doing that why are you ripping tiger for giving a boy a, a tampon Jason, maybe I, he needed it
2: look this is what i, I find mind-boggling and, and the hypocrisy and the double standard no standard I, and i get it a lot of these guys are sports columnists or journalists so they're not allowed to really delve into anything deeper But some of these people are more outraged by that gesture, which is a joke, than some of the books and the drag shows being foisted upon elementary school kids. Just think about that. What is more damaging? Tiger Woods having a funny moment with a colleague who's basically around his age and it's an inside joke that's done in public, so it's caught. Or sending your kids off and there's crotches being thrown on dancers' poles from men dressed up as women. What is actually more damaging to the psyche of more Americans? But it's it's, a, it's interesting how Tiger will get all this heat, but when you have pornographic school books in your library uh, for third and fourth graders to read, it's just deathly silent. That's the thing that really uh, cracks me up, but not in a haha ha way. Mm,
0: that's good stuff, Steve. Uh... LSU, they're getting a new name uh, for their basketball court. And I got to give, this is what I find interesting. Dick Vitale, who works for ESPN, complained about it via Twitter. How absurd, and and let me, the finish of this is, they just named the court Dale Brown court, I think last year. Now they're going to add the name of the women's coach, Sue Gunter, I believe is her name. Dick Vitale complaining over Twitter, how absurd in Louisiana the governor wants to change the name of the LSU basketball court that was named Dale Brown Court in a dedication ceremony about a year ago. This is wacky. Dale deserved the honor, and it finally was affirmed, and now ugly politics Mm. is involved. Sent Ah. that to uh, my man Tim Brando. I gotta give Dick Vital credit. He's he's like any other old man. He don't he don't give a rip anymore. He's gonna say what he thinks. But yeah, because you know we're in this day and age. Gotta throw a woman's name out there, so it's gonna be called Dale Brown and Sue Gunter Court. Good luck with that, broadcasters.
2: <laughs> Dickie V, you are still a peer, my friend. Well done. First of all, isn't shouldn't this be an issue for the university whether it's state run or not to make that decision honestly shouldn't this be an lsu decision not something that the government gets involved with the other thing is can we be honest i don't even think the majority of lsu fans they don't even really care about basketball all that much that's a football school at lsu okay but those that do care about basketball when i think of lsu hoops And you go through the Mount Rushmore, it's obviously him, Shaq, Pete Maravich, and I don't know, Stanley Roberts or Chris Jackson, right? I don't even think Sue Gunter is a household name in her own home, and God rest her soul. I'm not saying she didn't make a contribution. But come on, when you think of LSU hoops, every single memory I have is related to Um, the 86 final four run where they had this hodgepodge of role players that somehow made the final four. Dale Brown did some great coaching. Shaq O'Neal, Chris Jackson scoring 50 points as a freshman had the quickest release I've ever seen off a crossover dribble. And then, you know, Stanley Roberts, who could have been a hall of famer, but he loved food a lot. I I didn't even know who Sue, whatever. I've already forgotten her name, no disrespect. That's because you're a
0: sexist pig. That's because you're a sexist pig.
2: That's fine. And the other great LSU moment, and they're going to hate me for it, I remember 87 Elite Eight, uh, LSU's up by like nine with like two and a half minutes to go against Indiana. And I remember uh, Bobby Knight slams his fist on the table phone and he got fined by the NCAA. But they make this great comeback. Bobby Knight moved all the chess pieces. He had a great quote. And he said, we are down pretty big late. But I looked at that other sideline, and they had Dale Brown. I knew we had a shot. I mean, that's when basketball was fun. That's when basketball was fun. That's when we cared. But, but respect to Dale Brown. I don't know if he's still living or not. But, you know, I'd be rolling over in my grave even if I wasn't. I just – this is virtue signaling. And this is all about that equity thing. I get it. I mean, couldn't you name – the women's practice facility after her. I know that sounds terrible, but I just, come on, no one cares about Sue Gunter. Well, to be honest with you,
0: Dale Brown and Sue Gunter are both white. I think it's very racist Mm. for them not to have honored someone black on the court. Mm. And so you gotta put Shaq's name or somebody, you know, OBJ, put it OBJ's.
2: (laughs) I know he never played basketball, but. Another great Dale Brown story. I don't know if you remember a player by the name of John Williams, not Hot Rod Williams that played at Tulane and and had a great career at the Cavaliers. He came out of Crenshaw High School. Great point guard. Everyone thought he was the next Magic Johnson. The great Jim Murray said during his 11th grade year, the second best point guard in L.A. behind Magic Johnson is this young man. That's how good he was. So he's like a top three recruit. And this is like everyone knew who he was. UNLV and Tark thought they had him. They're like, oh, my God, this is going to be great. He's going to come Then at the 11th and a half hour, he signed out of nowhere with Dale Brown, an old Tarkanian, said, yeah, yeah, yeah. He called it the Louisiana Purchase. See, now that's a man that deserves to have his name on the court by himself. Dale Brown, I'm with you. <laughs> you just stole my joke from me.
0: Because I was gonna follow up. That's not the. That's not the only time the Louisiana purchase has been used as it relates to LSU. Well, when, uh, care when, about when do you they remember they care Lester? About you remember Lester Earl? You remember yeah, Lester Iowa. Earl? To Iowa, the guard. No, Lester Earl. I think originally went to LSU, and then Kansas executed the Louisiana purchase oh. to get Lester. Earl. He's six foot eight, six foot nine, big man. You don't remember
2: Lester Earl? I I do remember. I thought he went to Iowa, but again, that's '80s basketball. But see, Dale Brown. No, Lester Earl is
0: definitely in the '90s, 2000s.
2: Okay, but um, go ahead. One thing about Dale Brown, he gave that school or that program an identity. Like even after the Shaq era, they didn't really have that many good years, and then you know he left the job. But you always kind of knew with Dale Brown. That hey, he was there and he was a great motivational speaker. Um, he could motivate underdogs, he was fun with the media, and he was an icon. He truly is. He never won a Final Four, never went to the end, never went all the way. But you kinda he kind of made you care. Like when I think of Illinois basketball, to this day, you're gonna think I'm crazy. I don't think of Kendall Gill, I think of Lou Henson. I really, I do. When I think of Iowa basketball, I don't really think of B.J. Armstrong or A.C. I think of Dr. Tom Davis. And it's, it's almost like they're saying, and I think there's something to this, and I may be grasping at straws. It's like, yeah, yeah, that old white guy. I don't think he should be sharing his name, but you're right. That lady, she's also old and white. There, there's an issue here now. There's an issue. We got, we got to get the D.I.E. Uh, radar going on that one.
0: <laughs> uh, finally, Steve, uh, Adam Silver sat down with an interview with oh, Sage guy. Steele
2: oh, okay. and,
0: and, <laughs> like and Sage. Uh, talked about, you know, he's, he'd like to do something about players demanding trades. Don't think he's man enough. I, I, I've never seen, well, yeah, oh. I don't think we've ever seen as big a fall off from David Stern and the control he exercised over the NBA yeah. to Adam Silver and how the LeBron and the players basically tell him what to do. I, I, I think there's an argument to be made. Adam Silver is one of the worst commissioners in the history of professional sports. H- here he is talking with Sage Steele about players demanding trades.
4: Adam, what's your perspective on, on how this is affecting the game as a whole when players demand trades and, th- and then get what they want?
5: Um, number one, you, you Sage, you've been covering the league for a long time, so you know it's not a new issue. I think it gets... Um, uh, th- there's more attention focused on it than ever before because of all the, the the fishbowl effect of social media and the opportunity for every single comment to be magnified in incredible ways. So, I mean, it, again, go back to earliest days of this league, guys have demanded trades. Having said that, of course you want players to honor their contracts. You want the extent that, that there's always going to be discussions that go on behind scenes uh, behind the scenes between players and management about whether it's the right situation for them, but you never want to get to the point where a player's literally demanding that he go somewhere else. And so, you know, again, something we're discussing in collective bargaining that there aren't again any simple fixes here or else we would have, we would have done it. I think on the other hand, a certain amount of player movement now I'm not focusing about uh, on demands, but you know in in this this year for example in the week leading up to the trade trade deadline something like, like 12% of the league changed teams and that's something that we we're intentional about because we shorten contracts. Um, We recognize that that ability for teams to rebuild for now, it's not just about players, but for teams um, to make changes in direction that that's healthy around the league. So again, it's about finding the right balance around player movement, but, but trade player trade demands are a bad thing. (laughs) We don't want them to happen. And we got to focus, and we got to focus on that and make sure that, that everyone is honoring their agreements.
0: All you got to do is a simple fix to me, Steve. You put some kind of financial reward incentive for a player giving away his ability to demand a trade. You can sign a longer deal. You can get extra money, $20 million one-time bonus for you have to stay here through the life of this contract. You can't. Just put some kind of financial award. They do need to stop it. T- you know, one of the great experiences in my life was Reggie Miller's entire career yeah. in Indiana. Uh, you know, Larry Bird and Celtics, Magic and the Lakers. They've ruined it. But but again, this guy hasn't fixed anything, and and nor will he. He's, he's right, soft. He's weak. Yeah. Go ahead.
2: Jason. I'm beginning to think Adam Silver in another life must have been the ruler of France in the 40s. I mean, what? this is a spineless, gutless leader. And short of him actually growing one, there's no solutions, as Ock Nation would say. There are no solutions because that whole issue is toothpaste out of the tub. It is. You can't put it back in, it's over. But the solution is very simple. Make these players live up to their contracts. Again, they're not doing anything important. They are not curing cancer. They're not solving world hunger or anything of that sort. They're playing basketball. They're not just getting paid millions. They're getting compensated tens of millions. I don't want to hear about the hardship or any of that, any of those types of things. The trauma they may have suffered, in the, it doesn't matter. I think this is the point where, and as Sean Salisbury says this a lot on his show with Coach JB, player empowerment has gotten to a point where it's just now sheer anarchy. And I really think the penalty has to come in the next collective bargaining agreement where they're going to figure out, you know what, we have overplayed our hand and the public, they simply do not care anymore. Um, And I don't understand this. These guys can throw tantrums. They can whine. They can complain. But as far as I'm concerned, you have to start playing hardball with these guys and just underline and look at their contracts and say, buddy, this is what you signed up for. We are compensating you to play basketball. And and when you go out there and sewage them every single time, this is what happens. I, I'm just saying we got to play hardball, or they have to play hardball. I don't care anymore. I really don't. These are just a bunch of jerseys to me now. Okay, that that's all it is—a bunch of jerseys I no longer care about. But until the league actually grows a set, all of them, and say, look, eight years you're getting 300 million. You're going to get every single dime. But there comes a point in time you have to be willing and able to be professional because being part of a being a professional also means doing something. You don't want to do all the time. And we have, we have acquiesced, or they have acquiesced to a point where they've completely lost control. And one of the measures you would have to really take, if you ever want to reverse this, you're going to have to get rid of Adam Silver because he's absolutely gutless.
0: Mm. Steve, I got to go. Great job. Enjoy your weekend. Make sure you're hopping online, getting your roll call tickets, the roll call event at Rocket Town in Nashville, Saturday, April 15th. Go to FearlessArmy, rollcall.com. Ronald Squires, I Atheist, the secular world, the culture, uses our imperfection, our sins to take, shut up. You, you're, you can't stand on truth. And if all it was was imperfection, it eliminated us from standing on truth, this would be a very quiet place. I'm trying to be as loud as I can and as transparent as I can to try to inspire other men. We know you're imperfect, you know you're imperfect. God's grace and mercy, mercy gives you the right to stand on his truth and to speak that loudly into the culture, we have to do that.
6: You can look around and say, these guys have taken over everything. They own the CDC, the NIH, they got the president, Is transgender surgery for children. Colleges today are nothing but leftist indoctrination centers working fully against the Bible. What's the alternative? So you're going to stop fighting today and you're going to let the government raise your kids? and you're gonna turn around and let them chop off your 12-year-old daughter's breasts and let them sterilize your son and tell him that he's a girl, and you're gonna let them make the Bible, hate speech, you're the last line of defense here because nobody else is gonna do it and God's gonna walk with you. This is literally worth dying for, I'm telling you. So it's like everybody, That's a nice little metaphor. This is it. If there's a hill to die on, this is it. The Overton window has been moved right in front of our children's bedrooms and there are all types of people that are trying to climb up in the
1: ladder and every good father should be on his post so that when they peek their head up over the the window sill, you kick the ladder back down, let them know you you move on to the other house because we're not playing that around here.
6: Sometimes just standing up, just saying, no, we're not going to do that. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my family, not my community, not my church, not my city. Just declaring that, that's victory enough in prepping his disciples, he tells Peter, he's like, listen, Satan desires to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. We're gonna face some ups and downs in life and we're not gonna always get it together. But if we stay on the path, if we stay chasing after, running after Jesus, running after his way, he's even praying for us. Now, I I like it when you pray for me, Jason and TJ, I appreciate that, but to have Jesus pray for me, that makes me feel pretty good. When you make it through this sifting process, go back and strengthen your brothers. So we all have a responsibility as men, once he's delivered me through this, I have a responsibility to go back and bring some other folk out.
0: You do a roll call to just let people know you're not alone, be confident in your positions, and we're gonna inspire you. We're gonna eat, fellowship, listen to some music. It's gonna be the first of many roll calls that we do. So we're looking for soldiers. We're gonna put on our best uh, recruiting pitches for soldiers. All right, welcome back. Yesterday, as you know, or hopefully, you know, hopefully you watched yesterday's show, we had a I had a, a pretty spirited discussion about pride and why I think pride is, is very poisonous. I, I want to recap just a, a little bit because we, we started yesterday's discussion off talking about the proud family. And, and that cartoon run by Disney and how they've relaunched it and how people are reacting that it's completely different than uh, what the show was 20 years ago and how it's moved into uh, the racial discussion and the whole Black Lives Matter narrative. We played a different clip yesterday. We're going to play a new one today to give you a little taste of what The Proud Family, a cartoon by Disney, what the narrative or what the point of view of the show is. Let's play the clip.
3: Oh, no.
6: Hey, what are you doing? Get over here!
7: No, Dad! We will not stop until that statue of that slave owner comes tumbling down!
6: Slave
3: owner?
7: Oscar?
6: You got to be jabbing!
3: Please put these little kids in cups, y'all. Hi, just kids.
6: Uh. Audience, minute, no photos, please.
4: Back up, baby. This is going? Like, hey. Why are you in riot gear? We don't see no riot here. Come on, y'all. Here up Wizard Kell and his goons.
7: P, stand your ground. Why, Why are you, you in riot gear? We don't see no riot here.
0: Cartoons from Disney, all engaged in the racial discussion. This is pervasive throughout our culture. I, 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 as I argued yesterday, racial pride, no matter what color, it's a poison, and it's going to create uh, contention. That, that's, that's biblical. We, we, we've talked about it all week. That uh, we've pointed to verses in Proverbs and how pride is at the root of all contention, and we have a very contentious society. And so, part of the reaction to that contention is that, you know, now white people are starting uh, to more publicly push back, no different from how black people at a point in the 1940s, 50s, and 60s started pushing back and using viral, and using. Now, in 2020, they're using viral videos to push back. Of Hey, you're saying we're this way. Here's video of black people behaving poorly. No different than what we saw in the 50s and 60s, where uh, the civil rights movement strategically uh, orchestrated conflict and just exposed bigoted white people for their depravity and uh, wickedness. And it was captured in... In pictures and in video, and shown on the evening news, and it was a way of fighting a PR battle, and and they won, and and we're seeing that play out now in reverse in the 2020s, and so I, I just I can't uh, wrap my brain around pride having any good value. I, I I've moved to that position and that understanding for myself. And w- again, we've been having this discussion all week. I think it started on Tuesday with Delano. And then on Wednesday, we had it with Pastor Anthony and TJ Moe and Virgil Walker. And then I went solo yesterday for about 70 minutes talking about pride. And and I said that I would uh, have some of the uh, contributors come on and we'd, we'd have a reaction to what I talked about yesterday. And if anybody had any new thoughts or, or new pers- points of view on pride, we would do that today. And so we had a little fun talking sports with Steve Kim. Get a little bit more serious now. We'll roll out to Washington DC and bring in our main man Delano Squires. Uh, Delano has <clears throat> written a, a column that I, I wouldn't say is directly tied, but it's 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 tied to some degree, particularly about the, the viral videos that uh, people are, are leaning into. and. And using so it is directly tied to that conversation that uh, that we had yesterday and so Delano if you would uh, tell us your point of view that you reflected in your in your column today
1: sure so I, I think my, my point of view is fairly simple and straightforward um, I think our country um, I, I characterize it as that we, we have a case of multiple personality syndrome um, because when it comes to, issues of race and particularly race and crime, um, the left and the right sort of go back and forth trying to decide whether um, the race of a perpetrator and victim are important in a particular case or whether the actions of a small number of people represent the larger whole. And each side of the political aisle will, will end up on either one of these issues depending on what on what the particular issue is about. So I, I said in the piece, you know, when it's a white police officer and he shoots a black suspect, um, they always mention white cop, white police officer, black victim, um, but when it's a, a black, for instance, a, someone who commits a mass shooting, or anyone who's non-white for that matter, um, the race, of the, the skin color of the suspect becomes a lot less important to the story. Um, and, and what I said, and I think this sort of picks up on what you were talking about yesterday, is that I'm starting to see conservatives playing into some of this that playing in that same lane in terms of racializing incidents that they see online, viral incidents. Um, and sometimes they'll do it subtly, they'll 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 post a video and they'll say, you know see any patterns or sometimes I, I mentioned they may put up a meme. there's one I was trying to find a good example, but it's of a woman named Jane Goodall, who some people may know, spent a lifetime, you know, studying primates in Africa. And it'll it'll she's holding up some binoculars and it'll say um, the meme will say fascinating behavior. And people will just put that there. Right. So, so they they're, they're playing in this space of racializing bad behavior. And my, my point is that I think that's a bad idea across the board. Um, I think that s- sin is an issue across humanity. Um, I don't think that there's any vice nor virtue that's inherent to any particular group of people. That doesn't mean some types of behavior aren't more prevalent among some groups in certain periods of time. And you talked about, you know, the types of things that that you know whites did to blacks, you know, a generation ago. And then you're also talking about the types of videos that you're seeing, particularly now, where it's you know uh, black people oftentimes brutalizing white folks. So I, I think my, my general, my, my where I land is that we should look at these issues biblically. We should understand that apart from Christ, we all stand condemned because, because of our sin. We should understand that the, the, the seed of all different types of depraved behavior rests within each and every one of us. Um, and we should pull away from any sort of racial essentialist framework that 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 states or, or implies that a person's um, antisocial behaviors are inherent to, to their group because of their skin color.
0: And, and so for me, part, what I'm arguing and I, I think I'm or at least I'm making the attempt to argue it from a biblical perspective that to me, I think the Bible spells out that pride and idolatry are at the root of most sin and and so white pride set off things in white people uh, a denial of rights and privileges but but at the root of that denial of rights and privileges is a denial of people's dignity and humanity Mm. and so Th- that's what drives, you know, a denial of dignity and humanity will drive the other things. And and so what I think I'm seeing and, and it's unfortunate and it's, I, you know, what, what I think I'm seeing from white people, whether conservative or liberal or whatever, is they feel like the culture is attempting to deny them dignity and humanity when popular, when Disney is doing cartoons intended for kids that are framing white people up as evil, when the entire, when it seems, you can go on corporate media outlets and platforms and virtually say anything you want about a white heterosexual man and -hmm. everybody just stands right, (laughs) yep, you're right. (laughs) And so that's a denial of humanity and dignity that will make people get defensive and will make people say, oh, I'm not a man? Well, how about your behavior? If my skin color makes me not a man and and unworthy of respect and unworthy of my accomplishments even standing, it's going to make people defensive. And so I, I think everybody does react the same way to pride. And then I think humans tend to have the same defensiveness And defensive reaction. And so what I see from white people, I don't even like to call them conservatives because I think this whole political dynamic is a joke. Uh, Political people tend to annoy me. I don't think they're honest. But what I see from just white people, the same defensiveness that we saw from black people uh, back in the 40s, 50s, and 60s when they felt like, their humanity and dignity was being uh, cast aspersions upon or denied, mm. and and so we're, we're just seeing the opposite thing play out, and it, it's all rooted in just pride. It and and so you know, like you, to, I'm saying pride produces the same thing in all human beings, regardless of color.
1: Yeah, and I I agree almost completely with, with your assessment. I mean, I, I see these things myself, right? I, I've seen some of the clips for The Proud Family. Um, I, I didn't watch the Proud, the Proud Family before. I'm certainly not going to watch it now. I'm definitely not going to let my kids watch it. Um, partly because, Jason, and, and we didn't really touch on it from this aspect, but the content is garbage. And, and President Trump once famously said, I'm not going to say exactly how he said it, but he said, everything woke goes to crap. Um, and I find that in terms of the content, when they're trying to fit this sort of 1619 um, style, you know, partisan message in, into the into the framework, um, into the content, it just it just it, it makes it it feels forced. Right. So so that, that's one issue. But, yeah, I, I agree with you. And the thing is, we don't even have to go back to the 60s or the 50s or the 40s to talk about that sense of defensiveness, particularly from black folk. The same black people today, and I wrote this in my piece, who scoff when they hear, you know, the, the, the Stop Woke Act in Florida. And they say, and, and the act says, you know, you can't teach certain types of history that are intended to make certain groups feel uncomfortable. Something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing. And the and the black folk I'm thinking about say, oh, why, why shouldn't white people feel uncomfortable? Right. This is what history is. And my, my point is, yeah, but then you turn to current events. And, and if you're if you're doing a, a study on if you're doing statistics and you start looking at crime stats, those same black folk are going to say, oh, well, we, what are you trying to say? You're trying to say that black people aren't. So it's like n- n- no one wants to feel like they are under the spotlight for correction. Right. And, and this is this is why people like I, I think I think like people like Robin D'Angelo are, are so corrosive to the culture, because, again, she attaches skin color and ethnic identity to to human behavior, people when they are accused of doing things are almost always going to be defensive. Everybody in prison says that they're innocent. Even a guy, he come home, he got the lipstick on the collar. He gonna tell his wife, uh, "No, nah, I was just with the boys at, at the pool hall." So the notion that you that only a particular group get defensive when their sins, quote unquote, as a group are brought up, is ridiculous. And and you're right. Um, I think what we're seeing now is is sort of an expression of, of an age-old phenomenon, which is the rejection of moderation inevitably leads to to more radicalism. Right? And I think if we had more mature people in the media, in corporate America, in our politics, who work to diffuse some of these situations, particularly when race is involved. Uh, I think we would get very, very different results. But because people, and, and, I, and I've seen this, and, I, and I, I said this to you last night, Jason, I've seen people attribute the actions of the Buffalo shooter who said that his actions were racially motivated, attributed to people like Matt Walsh. And my thing is, for whatever you may feel about Matt Walsh's content, he's he's not out there saying, you know, white people, we need to take up arms. We need to make America European again. We need to send these these uh, these colors back to their home countries. He's not doing that. But when you make Matt Walsh out to be a Klansman, then inevitably you're going to end up with Richard Spencer, who is much more explicit about wanting a white ethno state in this country. And, And what I'm saying is that type of rhetoric is 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 very dangerous. Um, And open race conflict is very dangerous, particularly when you are one of the groups in the minority. And parenthetically, when you're also against guns, right? So I don't know what you're going to fight people with, but that's neither here nor there. So I I just wish people would, would take a step back, turn the temperature down, address these issues, particularly of crime and disorder, the same way across the board, Do not engage in partiality based on the color, of the perpetrator or the victim. Don't make excuses for people's behavior. Right. Don't don't say when it's a black person doing something it's because of systemic factors. But when it's a white person or it's because of, you know, individual um, um, sin. Let's let's think biblically about these issues. Understand that we're all created in God's image and all of us have the capacity for evil. um, If 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 we act in an unrestrained manner.
0: I, I I wanna I can't worry about how what I'm gonna say is gonna be perceived, but clearly I'm saying this, so I am worried about it. <laughs> but but I, I'm just trying to speak factually. There there's white people that feel like they can't engage in the conversation because mm-hmm. if they said what they really thought and and, and what they because what I think many of them really think is like a lot of the chaos that we have in the black community is directly tied to the breakdown in family. And, and they, I think some of them think it's uh, that breakdown in family is a direction, is a, uh, 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 a reaction to the break we've had from a biblical worldview and biblical actions. Mm. And, and, and so I don't think they feel liberated to say that, and and say, your family's in chaos. This is what happens when your family's in chaos. Your kids are going to be out of control. They're not going to do well in school. They're going to end up incarcerated. All the stats, but screw the stats. The Bible makes it clear, and any minister Mm. worth the salt explains this to his congregation. And then the other element that I think they feel uncomfortable stating that I feel more comfortable, (laughs) again, it's like, this racial pride thing that we've normalized and we see it as a a great thing. Black pride, in modern American culture right now, black pride is a good thing and white pride is a bad thing. Mm -hmm. Jason Whitlock is trying to say, pride is a bad thing, regardless of color. I think the Bible makes that clear. But if you embrace this kind of pride, You're going to uh, radicalize your children and Disney's helping radicalize your children and making them have more and more animus and not see the solutions for whatever issues or their success or failure is here. It's there. It's someone white that's holding me back and your white privilege. And so I don't feel like a lot of white people feel uh, liberated to, to say these things. And then I think they think black people caught up in racial pride uh, are reluctant, or are too defensive mm. to admit and say these things. And so the the best that they feel like they have to offer is, well, we'll tweet out this video. You can draw your own conclusions. Right, right. And and. I'm a I, I gotta be honest, if and because and, again, I know what's pushing me that makes me very defensive and, and very agitated a lot of days is I feel like the heterosexual black man is under attack and being emasculated and he can mm-hmm. barely say anything, and it mm-hmm. pisses me off. And so when I can point out the failures of the, the black feminine goddess who, who can do no wrong and she's lesbian and she can raise her kids and she don't need a man, I'm going to point it out. You're the boss, you're in control, look at our kids. You, you, you want all the hype and all the glory? Mm. I'm willing to give it to you. you. You want to take pride in what's going on with our kids and young people? Have at it. I, I, I'm, and so the, the, I say that to say, I don't know if the problem can be addressed without mentioning the, the color, because as of right now, Friday, whatever day it is in February, uh, the 18th or 17th, the racial pride problem is mostly black. The, the, there's a lot of pushback against white pride, and it's not yeah. socially acceptable. Black pride is very socially acceptable and, and no one wants to talk about the ramifications of that. And we need to talk about the ramifications of it the same way we needed to talk about the ramifications of white pride in the 40s, 50s and 60s to evoke and compel change. We got to talk about black pride and what it's doing and, and, and people are arguing and I certainly argued yesterday. These videos need to be put in our face. This is pride. This is, this isn't skin color. That's pride in skin color and walking away from God and, and, and family that we have to talk about that. This is a specific issue
1: that's most acute right now in us. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I, I agree with you in terms of, um, talking about the issue when I, when I talk about race as it relates to these incidents, what, what I'm cautioning against is making uh, an essentialist argument that says that the behavior of a particular group is inherent to who they are, but they can't get away from it. That's just what they do. Right. I'm, I'm cautioning against that. A culture argument is very, very different. And the beauty of culture is that culture, culture can be changed for the better and obviously over the last 60 years for the worse. So I'm, I'm completely for that culture argument. And sometimes what I'll see, uh, particularly like some black conservatives will, will do, they'll do it sort of tongue in cheek. They will post videos of, you know, two white women fighting at the Denny's or at a football game. And then they will sarcastically quip, oh, I bet she didn't have her father in the house or so on and so on and so forth. And my thing is this, social disorder is social disorder to me. And and quite as it's kept, a lot of uh, white folks, depending on, on where they live and a lot of times socioeconomic status, don't have intact families. They're going through the very same issues that, that we go through, in, particularly in, in urban areas. So I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm, to go a step
0: further, though. Uh, let me okay. go. I, I hate to cut you off, but I want to go a step further. We've moved so far from a biblical, and because again, we're having a black discussion, but this is impacting everybody. And so mm-hmm. we have intact families that aren't really intact. Mm. Both parents out chasing as much money as possible and as much mm. material possession uh, possessions as possible isn't really an intact family. That's a business merger th- th- that mm. has kids. And so that's why you're seeing a lot of chaos and, and gender dysphoria and all the mm-hmm. issues. It's across the board. We have a particular problem b- because again this racial pride and this animus that we're instilling in young people but 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 the fall of kids it's across yeah. the board they're not being developed properly because no one wants to sacrifice for their kids anymore not if it means i can't have the two kind of cars i want and a 4000 square foot house and and i sit there and think well hold on I got here, and you know I was happy as a kid. Mm. And me and my father lived in a four hundred square foot apartment, one bathroom, one bedroom. And you know I wasn't miserable. That this is mm. weird. And so, and and now all happiness depends on: Do you got four thousand square foot? Do you have a pool in your backyard? Did 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 you get every pair of Air Jordans that ever came out? That that what my happiness wasn't predicated on that. That's a very Bottom line, what I, atheists to me, and I want to hate to generalize about all atheists, but I'm going to. That's the at the root of the problem. But mm. but I'll just go back because I'm jumping around. But white people have been put into a box where they feel like if they if they make the biblical argument, oh, that's just a white mm. evangelical. And they're the yeah. most racist people in the world. The founding fathers, they were religious too, and they uh, <laughs> defended slavery. And, and so they're just in a box. They can't say anything. And so I get why they just put the videos out and don't put no comments on them because there's almost nothing they could say
1: yeah. that would be acceptable. And, and and honestly, Jason, I mean, you don't have to be white to, to, to figure that out. I mean, you and I and, and people, you know, contributors to the show, we do this, but the number of black conservatives who will consistently, publicly and boldly talk about the the cultural issues, particularly within the black community, regardless of what venue they're in, is very, very few, because there, there is that sense of not wanting to air dirty laundry, not wanting to play into specific certain types of stereotypes. Um, that that like that's real and palpable. So so it makes a lot of black folk not talk about things that we see every day in our own neighborhoods in our own communities. Like we we take the bus, we take the train, we we see when school lets out, right? We we see the kids at the McDonald's or the Chipotle or wherever, and um it, a lot of people want to hide their head in the sand and and not address these issues. So I'm I, I agree with you, and and I wish I wish I thought about this before I came on the show. There's a video that I've seen on Twitter where um, it's like a bunch of people, different groups. It looks like it's an empty warehouse. And they have a group of white kids and a group of black kids. And they ask each group, take a step forward if you're proud of your race. And all of the black kids step forward. And I think maybe one out of five of the white kids step forward. And I sent it to my friends and I said, does this look like what you would expect in a in a country that's quote unquote white, uh, you know, sort of infected with white supremacy? Because it's it, it's not, right? As you said, we, we are in a different day and time in our country's history. This is not 1963, this is not 1923. So the 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 rules of the road are very, very different. As you said, I've I've seen it with my own, own eyes. The ways in which cable news hosts, the Joy Reeds, the Tiffany Crosses of the world, they can can speak in generalities. They can talk about those darn Karens and all the problems that they cause. They can say 53% of white women, y'all are the problem, y'all voted for Trump. But if if somebody, a black person goes on a show and says, yeah, I think some of the issues we have in our communities is, is because of the breakdown of the family. Then everybody's going to spend the next two weeks, you know, on top of your head saying that you hate uh, black people and, and you're, you're a mouthpiece for white supremacy. So, yeah, I, 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 I see that pride. I see it on a daily basis. And one of the things and you said this when you, ta- you were speaking more generally. Um, this I, I hope Americans of all stripes understand. That we should finally do away with the lie that happiness is predicated on material possessions because no, no group of people in the history of the world has ever had more material comforts or technological advances as the average American today. Even poor kids have iPhones, and, and even some of the, the folks who, they, they say, you know, uh, it's a long march to freedom, and black people, we want this, and want that, and we want these changes, and so on and so forth. But the more people get, the more miserable they seem to be. Because contentedness does not come with stuff. And the Apostle Paul said this. He's like, in in all you know, and I'm paraphrasing. All all seasons, I've learned to be content, whether I have I abound or, or or whether I have lack. And contentment is 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 really to to me, it's it's a God issue, right? It's finding your contentment in something outside of yourself. And and I think we lack that here in the states, and that's why. It doesn't matter how much stuff you have. If you think that you should have more and the only reason you don't have more is because someone who's more privileged than you has more than you you have, then you're always going to be uh, infected with that spirit of, of ingratitude. And and I think that, so the racial pride that you're talking about, I think, works itself out in different ways, um, even within the black community. Right. Because the 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 upper crust. The, the people, the DEI consultants, the, the, the HBCU grads, the, the folks in the boule, all of those people, their pride is is exhibited in a very different way. It's always about, oh, this person, they have something that they didn't deserve. That should be me. I work twice as hard. Why don't I have X, Y, and Z? But then, particularly for, for the young kids, when, when they're accosting you know, white diners out as they eat and, it, and demanding that they say, chant Black Lives Matter, you see it working out in a different sense. And and, and part of what this is, um, and I've long felt this, it is a cry for affirmation. The the average sort of I'm blackity black, 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 you know, black and the berry, sweet of the juice type person is desperately seeking the affirmation and acknowledgement from white people. This is why they think that we should spend all of our time on Karen hunting and, and talking about incidents in Walmart parking lots and Target parking lots because they get their sense of self-worth either from making white people feel uncomfortable or or getting white people to parrot the words that they want or buy the products that they want or or, or go to the seminars that they want. Um, and these are people who are confused, and I think I do think part of this is when you when you lose your sense of your spiritual foundation, you are going to look for something else to worship. and and some, and that worship will inevitably lead you into idolatry. And idolatry does not just have to be a consistent focus on the thing that you say that you love. Idolatry can also be the, a consistent focus on the thing that you say that you hate. And that's why I, I, I've said in a different context, and this may seem unrelated, but I think it is. There's nobody, for instance, who talks more about Donald Trump than the the never Trump people like David French and and the people at the Lincoln Project. He has become an idol to them and all of their attention and their energy and their righteous indignation is focused on him. he, he, He may be off in Florida in a tanning bed, he's not thinking about any of these people. But all they can, every incident that happens in this country, they find a way to tie back to Donald Trump. And I think the people that you are saying have are infected with this racial pride have the same outlook as it relates to to white people. Everything bad in their, in their world, they attribute to white folks. And even many of the good things that we think about, the nuclear family being punctual, they they characterize these as as white values. So th- there is a level of idolatry, and I agree with you that there is a, a serious issue with, with, with pride in our country, and some of that definitely is, is racial pride. But as I said, ultimately, we, we need to get back um, to, to, to the first things, and, and that's, that's seeing ourselves as created beings and understanding the need that we have for, for a savior.
0: And Delilah, I'm gonna let you go because I want to get to Shamika, and I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to be more disciplined with the show. Uh, but, but I, I, I want to say that I don't think there's confusion about between love and hate. I, I think it's all love. Mm. I, I, I think all <laughs> these people love white people, and mm. and because, it, because again, it just behavior more than their words the behavior tells you everything you need to know and 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 so and and trust me white people are aware of this they're confused would love to be able to say it but but all of these people that run their mouth Patrice Cullors, to ice cube to any of them there's nothing they will not do to gather up enough money to move out amongst white people, there's nothing they won't do: mm. deal drugs to their cousins and everybody in mm. their neighborhood, kill up a few people and brag about it on a rap song, in you know, order mm. uh, uh, hoodwink and and uh, get black people to donate a bunch of money to Black Lives Matter. Also, they can acquire enough wealth to move into a white neighborhood. That's how we define success, mm. and so. The the, the, the people know this, they're not fooling anybody. And we, we've got everybody handcuffed. Don't talk about it. Don't don't. Hey, uh, Whitlock's going to be here. No one mentioned that he's 75 pounds overweight. Just ignore it. And whatever he wants out of that buffet, just let him have it. He'll be dead in two years. We'll we'll worry about it then. That's the same mentality and approach we have right now. Collectively as black people. Let's ignore it. You know, yeah, kids are dropping out of school. Uh, black boys, no one's interested in their success or future. Black girls are getting knocked up and having kids, and, and they're out in the streets killing each other and, and, and arguing and fussing with white folks about nothing. But let's all ignore it and pretend like it's going away. And Lord, please, they drop to their knees. And Lord, please, just let me get enough money to move out amongst white people so I can be happy. That's the mm-hmm. American dream for black people. Ignore mm-hmm. the problems so till they go away. Do whatever we can to get enough money to move out among white people, and then pretend like we don't like white people. It's it's BS. It's got to be called out is, is all I'm saying. And it's going to be a very uncomfortable conversation. And that's why I, I go. Trust me, the 1950s and 60s, very uncomfortable for white people. In Mm. order to get up out of this situation we are in right now, it's going to have to get very uncomfortable for black people. We've walked away from God. We've walked away from family. We've walked away from common sense. We've teamed up with the alphabet mafia and all Mm. the people that don't care. We we just we applauded. We had people in church applauding Kadangi Brown-Jackson getting on the Supreme Court, and this woman wouldn't say what a woman is. The genesis Mm. spells out what a man and a woman is, and we're in church applauding some black woman married to a white man, trust me, lives out in a white neighborhood, runs with all white people. We're in black churches. Oh, this is the greatest thing in the world. Kadangi Brown-Jackson, she can't even define it. It's racial idolatry and pride. Mm. Thank you, Delano. Have a great week. Thank you, Jason. Uh, We'll see you next week. Uh, You can email us uh, your feedback, fearlessblaze show at gmail.com. Shamika Michelle, next. All right, welcome back. Let's roll out to North Carolina, bring in Shamok's show, Shamika Michelle. Shamika, I want to hear from you on two different things. One, my conversation. Oh, wow, you brought your A game today, Shamika. You're looking good. You look awesome. Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Uh, no problem. Uh, I want to, about my conversation about pride, and then uh, Don Lemonade over at CNN's and some hot water, and we'll do an approval rating on him. But uh, I'll, I'll just a general, is, is there any upside to pride or is pride, is pride as poisonous as I think it is? <laughs>
7: So, Jason, I don't know. I was watching the show on Wednesday and I felt like there was a little bit of friction going on simply because there maybe was a refusal to let go of the word. Like when you understand that you're doing something with good intentions, you know, you get dressed every morning, you want to look nice, you don't really consider yourself prideful. But there are different words that the Bible gives us to use, you know, like delight in or rejoice in. And pride is often used in the Bible negatively. So I think it was just that not wanting to let go of the word because we're so used to it. But you understand that the Bible tells of of every man not to think more highly of himself than he ought. And that is kind of something that I try to lean towards. Like my daughter, each morning we asked four questions. Who are you? How do you feel? What are you plan to give to the world today? And what are you planning to receive? And my question or my answer for who am I is always a child of God. It's always in the image of God. I understand that this Shamika that you all see, the personality, the look, the whatever, is just what I'm wrapped in. It's not who I am. And so a lot of times, like when you talk about having this racial pride, People are more focused in the wrapping opposed to the package. What's actually inside and what we should actually be presenting to the world. And so I do think pride can—it means puffed up and arrogance. And if you put too much emphasis on the things that don't matter, then that's where the issues come in. And. We have a lot of people putting so much emphasis on the things that don't matter. If we looked at each other as images of God, if we looked at each other as children of God, we wouldn't see color. You know, when I look at you, I see what's on the inside. Jason is just the wrapping, but it's the package that makes, you know, the most difference.
0: Wish I had a little less wrapping uh <laughs> the uh delano and i had a discussion just before you came on where we we talked my contention is that this racial pride that seems so pervasive in us right now as black people is provoking a white defensiveness and and it, it's it's i if if they were making cartoons and television shows that were demonizing black people the way we're making cartoons and shows and corporate media that is demonizing white people that way I get why they're being defensive it's the same way we were when when we felt like we were under attack and so I, I don't I, I don't I would prefer they didn't do it but I don't it, it seems inevitable that white people would start pushing back and say, like, oh, you think the George Floyd video is bad? Look at this video. Look, Look at what these kids did. It seems inevitable to me that, you know, for every action, there's going to be an equal and opposite reaction. And all 10 years of promoting Black Lives Matter was eventually going to promote White Lives Matter.
7: Absolutely, because no one wants to be looked at as a constant or a consistent enemy, especially when they aren't the enemy. You said something on Wednesday, no, Thursday, yesterday. You said we don't want to end racism. We just want it to like, swing in our favor. And that's the Benefit truth. Us. We're doing exactly what we claim white people did years or decades ago. And that does mean to me that there's a certain idolization there. We're idolizing them because we have put them on this pedestal and and want to reach where they are. We've made them the epitome of a being when that's not what we should be striving for. And so I do think that comes with a certain worship of white people that you have started to become the very thing that you claim that you hate. If you really wanted to be this good person or this godly person, you know, whatever you're aspiring to be, you aren't looking at white people for the example of that. And you wouldn't move into So where you claim they were years ago doing the very same things that caused our ancestors and those that came before us to grieve and be hurt and be harmed. So yes, there is a certain idolization with that. And you said you think they love them. I don't think they love them because love is patient. Love is kind. Love keeps no record of wrongdoing. Love don't rejoice in evil. So no, they don't love them, but they are idolizing them. And that's what the problem is. That's where we we are
0: now I think I gotta agree with that that I chose the wrong word there and you're right which I've chosen several words and idolizing is one of them and I just need to focus in on that because that's what it, it's idolizing idolatry it's, it's all the same thing uh, good correction I want to move to uh, Don Lemonade uh, did you see this uh, I get he said that Nikki Haley not in her. Don't we have the video? Yeah, let, let's watch Don Lemon and his comments on CNN.
8: This whole talk about age makes me uncomfortable. I think that I think it's the wrong road to go down. She says people, you know, politicians or something are not in their prime. Nikki Haley isn't in her prime. Sorry. When a woman is considered to be in her prime in her 20s and 30s and maybe 40s. What do that's you not Wait, I, that's not according to me. Prime so for what? Uh, it depends I and mean, it's just like prime if you look it up it'll say, if you look if you google when is a woman in her prime It'll say 20s 30s and 40s. I don't necessarily oh, I, got
4: I'm not saying I agree
8: with that. So I think she has to be careful <laughs> about saying that you know politicians aren't in their prime We need to need qualify.
4: To are you talking about prime I for mean, like child mean, bearing, just, or are you talking about prime drum, for being shoot the messenger. I'm just saying what the
8: facts are. Google it everybody at home. <laughs> when is a woman in her prime? It says 20s 30s and 40s and I'm just saying Nikki Haley should be careful about saying that politicians are not in their prime and they need to be in their prime when they serve because she wouldn't be in her prime according to Google know, Google, or whatever it is
6: mm.
0: Mm. that looked like a cat fight between three cats <laughs> fighting that's how that came off to me Let, let's Megan Kelly jumped into this and had a take on it let's let's hear from Megan Kelly
4: okay so if you don't shoot the messenger If you Google it, Google tells you a woman is past her prime when she's after 20, 30, maybe 40, he says. If you Google CNN, it comes up as the most trusted news source. So we can't always rely on Google, Don. And I have to tell you, I'm so irritated by this guy. And honestly, his misogyny, and I don't use that word about a lot of people, but there's a pattern with him. The the absurdity of suggesting that a woman is past her prime when she is 51 years old, like Nikki Haley. I just pulled just for fun, just for kicks, because you guys are both historians. Some some of the best known women on earth in modern uh, history. Margaret Thatcher, she was 54 when she became prime minister. Uh, of Great Britain. Nancy Pelosi became Speaker of the House for the first time when she was 67. Past her prime, sorry, Nance. Kamala Harris was 55 when she became the Vice President of the United States. Katanji Brown Jackson is 52, newly placed on the U.S. Supreme Court. While we're on the subject of Supreme Court, Eleni Kagan was 50 when she was confirmed. Sona Sotomayor, 55 when she was confirmed. Mary Barra, CEO of GM was 53 when she took over that role. She's now 61, but past her prime. Suzanne Scott over at Fox News became CEO of Fox when she was 51. Uh, Suzanne, Susan uh, Wojcicki, CEO of YouTube, she's 54. I could keep going. And by the way, what an insult to people like Dana Bash, who's 51, and his colleague at CNN, sorry, passed your due date. What does he mean by prime? The the co-anchor had an instinct that this was offensive, but frankly, wasn't effective enough to actually shove it down his throat um, and recognize. Are you referring to childbearing years? Because that is something women can mostly only do in their 20s, 30s and 40s. And he wouldn't even sign on to that. But just childbearing is not what determines whether a woman is in her prime. What an ancient, anachronistic, stupid way of evaluating a woman's worth. The truth is all those women I just mentioned, most of them did have kids when they were in their 20s and their 30s and their 40s. And then they went on to achieve huge professional success after they did all of the things that women are capable of doing, raising families, having babies, which only we can do, right? And instead of getting credit for that, for doing it all and achieving huge career heights in their 50s, they get reduced to you're a nothing, your post, your due date, you're stale, you're over because you're not at the age where you could service a man in having a baby. This is blatant sexism. And shame on him for doing this on the air. And frankly, those other women on set with him were pathetic and weak in calling him out. He deserved a more robust response. He, was, he deserves it now from the colleagues at CNN. He deserves it from the colleagues in the news industry and the bosses at CNN. And it's not the first time.
0: Mm. I want to jump in first here and offer some, you know, let me cover myself here. Anybody that knows me knows that I still think Megyn Kelly's in her prime. Let me enter that into the record. I'm a Megyn Kelly fan. I, I, I think her reaction's way over the top, and I love Megyn Kelly. I think her reaction's way over the top, but I think it's intentionally way over the top. CNN and the corporate media structure are trying to get out from underneath Don Lemon. They'd love to fire him and get rid, of, but he's got that alphabet mafia card. He doesn't leave home without it. And so it's difficult to get out from underneath him. And it looks like they may try to use this gen up controversy to get out from underneath him. Don has tweeted, Some sort of clarifying statement, borderline apology. Uh, The reference I made to a woman's prime this morning was inartful and irrelevant, as colleagues and loved ones have pointed out, and I regret it. A woman's age doesn't define her either personally or professionally. I have countless women in my life who prove that every day. Uh, So anyway, Nikki Haley responded, liberals can't stand the idea of having competency tests for other politicians to make sure they can do the job. By the way, it's always the liberals who are the most sexist. So <clears throat> I don't think to, to call Don Lemon sexist when Don Lemon would give both of his testicles to be a woman. <laughs> Everybody knows this. And what, what I'm and I was thinking is I'm not even trying to be funny. His comments are based in he's competing with women particularly white women, for men. And so he's trying to send out a bat signal of, now, you may think you want a young white girl, but, you know, or they're past their prime. Me on the other hand, I can service you well into my 70s and 80s. That's the message Don Lemon was trying to pump out to white men, is that he's there's no expiration date on what he can do for a white man. That's what he was trying to send a bat signal for. That was three women competing, jockeying for who has more value for a, a man in terms of servicing a man. Don Lemon thinks he has more value than the typical white woman that's in her 40s and 50s. That's what that's really about. You can think I'm, I'm trying to be funny, but I'm not. That, that's, that's what all that energy was. But other than that, they're trying to get rid of Don Lemon, and they're blowing this up into a controversy, so CNN has a right to firing. Your thoughts, Shameka?
7: You know, I think it's an overreaction, Jason, from a lot of women, but I think what it shows is that Age is a sore spot for women, especially when you don't take the time to sit with the fact that you are going to age, you're going to get older. Of course, if you look at what being in your prime means, according to Merriam-Webster, it means being active and in good health. So of course, Nikki, Nikki Haley and women you know, in their 50s are still active and in good health, many of them. According to Cambridge, it means being at your best, most successful, most productive so there are a lot of women that are in their prime still even in their 50s what i think that don lemon was doing was what most of us do when you go tell most men hey why don't you go get you a woman in your prime most men are not going to think let me go get a 51 year old that's not what they what they are thinking so we can be offended by it but that's how we think when you think of a woman in her prime you think someone in their 20s you know or 30s where everything is still standing up and in place where it's supposed to be most people don't go and look at the actual definition because that's not how we've used it For eons, you know, but I think it shows that so many women, this is just a sore spot because what are you upset about? You know, why are you mad? You know, Madonna is upset with everyone right now saying we don't celebrate people over 45. She's claiming that, you know, the society is sexist and misogynist because she went out here and butchered herself and now she looks like something from a horror movie. She's blaming everybody else when she should just blame herself. You can't point the finger at someone else not feeling like you look great when you didn't think you look great. Women have to start being honest that's a sore spot for us and you have to sit and understand when you can't take a picture without a filter you feel you feel some kind of way about yourself that's a lack of confidence when you can't leave the house without a lace front when you want to get butt injections and breast augmentation and you you're having a a midlife crisis that you're getting older and so you know we can be mad at Don all day long but again You don't look at most 50 year olds and say, oh, she's in her prime. Now, when it comes to definition, if it means peak skill, there are some areas I feel like I'm certainly in my prime at my peak skill. But, you know, (laughs) I don't get upset at people feeling like, you know, that's not the ideal age for a woman. So, you know, I think it's the overreaction of women and women just need to sit and have a good, long, hard conversation with themselves and realize that this can be a sore spot for us and get over it and, you know, be your best self at whatever age you are.
0: Shamika, great job. I'm gonna start my weekend. We're gonna play some tomorrow. We'll see you tomorrow. Royce White's going to be on the show. We're going to talk about his new show. We're going to talk about Rihanna and ASAP Rocky. Deuces.
1: Waiting for the countdown, coming off the breakdown, standing in line for
7: freedom. look for a breakout, feeling like... Nothing in life like freedom. Came in like a fighter, striking like a ladder, making all this moves for freedom. I want freedom. No negotiation, my system, no relation. We all just wanna have freedom. Sitting on the corner, never been alone. i breaking my back for freedom. Blessed we are living, get back we are receiving, all when We all wanna be free. We want freedom. I
4: just want. I wanna be. I just.